Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you today. And I uh, just think if you're here in Atlanta, you had a choice between DragonCon and this, and you chose this. You chose to be in the sanctuary today. I think you made a wise choice. We want to extend a, a special welcome to those of us who are a part of our church family who are watching online. You're in vacation places, you're at the lake, you're up in the mountains, you're at the beach, and we're glad that you're with us. Isn't it amazing that we can all be together, even, um, even as we travel, we can stay connected as, as one family of faith. When I was 14 years old and uh, entering into high school, my, my favorite activity by far and away was playing tennis. I spent every waking hour that would be allowed for me on the tennis court. I loved to practice, I loved to, pro, pre, to play, and it was just so much fun to be able to, to be out in the sunshine and to, to hit all of those tennis balls. And I was a part of a great tennis program. We had won state multiple times in, in our category and was thrilled to be joining the high school team where, where all the stakes were on the line. Well, we would, because I grew up in the greater metropolitan area of Waco, Texas, the epicenter of culture and of life, and um, we would travel to all these variety of kind of central Texas towns, and we would play other high schools, and, and there were times where we went like to the middle of nowhere, and there were like weeds growing up through the cracks on the court, you know, we grew up at this college prep school, and like their fences were like made out of like, it was like chain link fence, it wasn't a real net that you had to hit over. And, and I remember this one time we were playing uh, the, these other guys and I was in doubles and we were playing these other guys who, who were clearly outgunned and outmatched by us. And, um, and so we, we came in and we're just banging the ball and they, I mean, they just, it's coming so fast at them. They just can't, they can't hit it back. And, um, but they changed tactic in the middle of the match. Instead of trying to match all of the energy and all the power and hitting it as hard as they could, um, they just decided to do something different. They just decided to pop the ball up and lob it as high as they could in basically the middle of the court. And my doubles partner and I are fighting over who ought to hit it in the air. And we're, we're, we're just not sure whether we should hit it in the air or let it bounce first and, and, this, and then hit it. And, and this tactic for them actually worked because we did this over and over again and we're losing point after losing point and they were getting frustrated and, and we ended up losing the match. And we were so sad and I remember going back to practice the next week and you know our teammates are making fun of us, you know, they're calling us the Lob Brothers and things like that. And, and, and our coach comes over to us and he says, listen, you didn't lose because they were better than you. You lost because you hadn't trained on how to hit overheads yet. And so all week, we spent all week with him hitting balls way into the air, and he taught us, here's how to handle that kind of shot. And it really worked. We're in the midst of a series where we're talking about habits. We're talking about things that are foreign to us that become second nature. We're talking about little changes that you can make in your life and mine that end up making a huge difference. We're talking about not just any kind of habits, but grace habits. We want to become more grateful, more available, more curious, more encouraging. And we're trying to discover what are the things that we can participate in grace to become these kinds of people together. And so this is like four little mini 
mini-series. We've been doing four weeks on grateful, four weeks on available, four weeks on curious and encouraging. And we're kind of at the end of our grateful segment. And we've been talking about these particular practices. Keeping a list because we're so prone to forgetting. Setting aside because compassion requires preparation and not just mercy. Owning your stuff because we live in an age where we need honesty and vulnerability in a whole new way to be able to move ahead. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to center our lives around a table and to train for righteousness at that table. Several years ago, I got on a plane from Orange County and flew to Salt Lake City and Usually when I flew to Salt Lake, it was for a fun reason, to go visit family or to be able to go skiing, but this was a somber occasion. I was flying to go perform the funeral for my dad's sister, my aunt, who died quite suddenly and surprisingly at a young age. And so I'm on the plane and I sit next to this other woman who's about my age, and and I could just tell that she was kind of sad as well, and I asked her why she was flying, and she said, well, I'm flying to go be at a funeral for a family member. And because we were both flying for the same reason, you know, the normal kind of chit-chat that you would do at at a kind of on an airplane all of a sudden became quite real and quite deep and straightforward. And we started talking, and she started talking about her faith, and I asked her questions about her faith, and it became apparent that she was LDS, that she was Mormon. I just read an article on how Mormon students are able to articulate their faith, their convictions, more more convincingly and accurately than any other faith tradition in the United States. And I told her, she didn't know I was a pastor, I told her that I had just read this article and did she have any kind of wisdom or any thoughts as to why that would be the case. And she laughed and she said, you know, people know about the missionary journey that we require all of our students to go on and people joke about us all going door to door, and, but they don't know what happens behind the scenes that in basically what is their weekly gathering of kind of Sunday morning worship, that did you know that students stand up every single week at those gatherings and they share, they share in front of children, they share in front of adults, they share in front of senior adults. And she said, you know, they, they don't know that every single household for one of our families, we gather around tables and we are intentional We're intentional about passing along what we believe and how we believe you are to live to the next generation. It all happens at the table, she said. I remember that while she was describing this, I remember just feeling this conviction in my heart that here I am a pastor, I'm a ministry leader. And I know, I know that we fall way behind them in training in the faith. There's a famous phrase from an ancient Greek philosopher that says this, we don't rise to the level of our expectations as much as we fall to the level of our training. Will you say this with me? We don't rise to the level of our expectations as much as we fall to the level of our training. 
This is not just ancient wisdom. This is a phrase that has become a part of Navy SEAL training because they believe that there isn't a situation, there isn't a circumstance that you cannot adequately train and prepare for as long as you're willing to commit to that training. And for us in our tradition, there is this great legacy of training that's known as discipleship that we have just absolutely neglected in modern Christianity. And so we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. And truth be told, our training's not very good. And so we don't know what we believe. We don't know why we believe it. And we don't know how to live. If you go back and you look in the Old Testament, they took training seriously. This is known as the Passover meal. And there isn't a single dimension of that meal that wasn't intentional in helping to pass along the faith to the next generation. And so I want to invite you to look at Deuteronomy 16 with me that I'm going to put up on the screen. And I don't want you to just see it through the eyes of what does it say. I want you to put a training manual lens on as to how are they training people in the faith. Verse 1, observe in the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God because in the month of Aviv he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice is the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd at the place that the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession in all the land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town that the Lord your God gives you, except in the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place of the Lord your God will choose. And then in the morning, return to your tents. For six days, eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, hold an assembly to the Lord your God. And do no work. Every single aspect of the meal when you put together Deuteronomy's instructions and the Exodus instructions and the rabbinical tradition, there was nothing left to chance. Everything spoke for a reason. There were four cups of wine at the Passover symbolizing the four different promises of God that came to them in the Exodus journey. They're to eat unleavened bread for that period of time. All the children help them scour the whole house to make sure that there's no yeast in it. The reason for the unleavened bread is to be reminded that they're to always be ready for God. That they weren't given a heads up, that they had to leave in haste, that you and I ought to live as a prepared people on the go. There were other dimensions of the exact precision of when it ought to take place during the calendar year, when it would take place during the time of day, and where the Passover would take place, that all the people would gather together as one people, as a pilgrimage, eventually taking all of them to the city of David itself, to Jerusalem, so that everybody was together, that you were with extended friends and family as you ate of this feast. All the rhythm, all the practice, all the beginning of a child that says, why is this night different from every other? night. All of that as 
little testimonies and reminders and training moments of what God had done in rescuing his people long ago and that he still rescues today. And so Passover, it's not just a celebration, it's not just a feast, it's an education. And they didn't see their tables just as a place to gather and to consume food. They saw their table as a sacred place where they passed along the story and the memory of God himself. The question is, how do you view your table? Do you view your table like me? It's a very quick place to sit down and eat a bowl of cereal in the morning so you can get on with your day? Or is there more to it than that? I think if we're going to make any headway with the faith moving in our society and mobilizing today, it can't be something that just happens here at church. It may start here at the church with a table like the one that's before us, but It'll have to move to your table. And so I want to get really nosy today, really prescriptive today. Let's talk about what happens at your table. And do you train there? So I want you to pull out your bulletin today. At the very back of your bulletin, there is a little card that's uh, at the very back that says train at table resources. And what I've done is just pulled together um, in conjunction with our staff team, some of our favorite resources for what it might be like to train in different life stages at the table. And I just want to walk through some of these things with you and maybe inspire you. The ask of today's message is that you will find one thing, one simple practice out of this list or that you come with up on your own of something that you might train at table about. And so let me walk through some of these together. The first one you see down there is 567 Ministries. This is one of my favorite tools Two friends of ours by the name of Dave and Jess Ludwig, they, um, they noticed that conversations at tables with kids begin with the placemat. And so they began by working with a great artist. Um, if you're familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's the same artist. And what they did was they would come up with these placemats that would tell a portion of a biblical story. This is the portrayal of the Samaritan woman at the well and the, the living water that springs forth to eternal life. There's a little QR code at the bottom, and you scan that QR code, and it gives parents a little kind of curriculum, if you will. It's questions that you might ask your kids about the picture. It's the scripture references. It's conversations and applications that might happen there. I want to show you some of the artwork and the imagery that happens in these. Look at this, look at this one from The Burning Bush. Or this next one here from Elijah looking for God at the top of Mount Sinai, but he's not found in the wind, he's not found in the rain, he's not found in the stones breaking apart or in the fire, but he's found in the gentle whisper or the still small voice. Or this image here of Jesus at his baptism where the Spirit of God descends like a dove, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, or my personal favorite, the return of the prodigal son with the father running very low to the ground in order to get to him. <laughs> but isn't it great how art at the table with some scripture and some questions 
and a little bit of curiosity could help to tell and to retell the story, all from a placemat. There's other resources. One of the things that I know that our children's and student ministry are really passionate about of, of even just kind of our own resources as, as the children's ministry has been walking through the four weeks of grateful, they've had their own little kind of grateful journal that they've been working through. I promise you that one of our convictions will be whatever they're studying in Sunday school or here at the church that we want to give you resources as parents to be able to have those kinds of conversations. Our students on Sunday morning are walking through this tool. It's known as the New City Catechism. This is kind of an an amalgamation of the Reformed uh, confessions and catechisms of our faith. And it starts out, you can get an app and it does things like this. You can download it and it has the first question, what is our only hope in life and in death? Does this sound familiar from the first part of the service? Please nod and humor me in that you were paying attention in the first part of the service. And you can click the answer and the way that they answer that in the New City Catechism, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then you can double click again and it'll give you a scripture, Romans 14, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Whether we live to the Lord or if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And you can double click again and it gives you to a short prayer. Christ, our hope, in life and in death, we cast ourselves on your merciful fatherly care. You love us because we are your own. We have no good apart from you, then we could ask no greater gift than that to belong to you. This doesn't take a lot of time, but imagine the little seeds of investment of creating conversations around these kinds of things. I don't think you ever outgrow the need for these types of things. But I do recognize that we live in a society that's not only moving very quickly, but that with our devices, we've almost lost the art of the conversation. We've forgotten how to engage with one another, that we're so obsessed with our screens that it's, that it's hard for us to pay attention. And so sometimes we might need a little help. I love these tools. Have you ever seen these boxes of kind of table topics? You know, these little different formats of conversations that you can have and and so you can have these really deep, engaging, maybe even arguing conversations if you get into it and it, it gets really bad. We have counseling ministry here at the church. We're totally willing to, to help you if you get in beyond what you can do. But all of these little things, I mean, it could be as simple as a prayer. It could be a scripture as a family or an individual that you're memorizing together. It could be a whole host of different things. There was one family who... Um, they, they, um, they took what we were saying seriously and when we did the, the grateful part of this, and this is what their table looked like. Their table looked like this, and they put sticky pads, and their kids are young, and they put Sharpies, and then this is what their refrigerator looked like when they were done. These were all the things that they were, they were grateful for. This is a beautiful refrigerator, not because it's wide, stainless steel, top-of-the-line model. It's It's beautiful because of all these little markers of God's faithfulness. One of my favorite tools and placemats are these. I went to Africa on your behalf not that long ago to go visit with our ministry partner in Malawi. And on the way back, I bought some placemats. And these remind me every time I see them that there are people who are not as fortunate to eat the meal that I'm about to eat. 
that there's little girls in high school in our home and there's little girls that our family sponsors in high school all the way around the world. And this one in particular reminds me, because it's a lion, it reminds me that there's a high school girl who told us that her greatest fear in high school is not on Snapchat, it's that a lion will get her because she has to walk nearly eight miles in order to get to school. And it's just a placemat, right? But if you see something as a training tool, it can be so much more. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. I was flying to the same destination. It was another occasion in flying to Salt Lake City when it was not a happy one. My grandmother was at the very end of her life. I was flying to go say goodbye. I got to the long-term care facility and all the other members of my family were already there. We gathered around her bed and we held vigil at her bedside and we, we prayed prayers, we sang hymns, we, we recited scriptures. And in one particular moment, we joined hands around her bed and we prayed the Lord's Prayer together and we started saying it and we didn't even know at this point if grandmom was responsive, she could tell what was going on and about halfway through the prayer, I opened my eyes and I looked at her because I could hear her speaking and she was saying the Lord's Prayer with us. She just, she just wasn't saying it in English, she was saying it in German. She was saying it in her mother language, her native tongue. And she said it that way. She said it that way because a long time ago in Germany, she would gather around a simple wooden table right before World War I, and they would hold their hands and they would say the words of the Lord's Prayer in German together. And so she... She rose beyond her expectations because of the level of her training. We are a vastly over-programmed people who are under-discipled. And I can preach my heart out and we can put on great classes and honestly, if it doesn't make the way to your table and your home, it's just not gonna go very far. And so do something, a prayer, a scripture, a box of cards, a placemat, but allow your home to become a center for discipleship. When I see Christians floundering, losing, if you will, 
It's not because they're worse than anybody else. It's because they're undertrained. The primary work of ministry is to equip you, the saints. And it may start at a table like this, the new Passover table, but it can't end here. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we rely on institutions and organizations instead of seeing all of life through the prism of your discipleship. Help us to train in righteousness, to be equipped for the work of ministry that you've put before us. As we now come to the new Passover, where you have given us visual reminders of your covenant faithfulness, of your love, of your sacrifice, train us this day. as we now eat and drink of these symbols that you will spiritually nourish us at this table, may we take this table and realize that this table extends to apartments and condos and homes, picnic tables, workplace and school counters. That every table can be a table of righteousness. And so not only empower us here, God, but give us the wisdom to become a movement of your people. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.